Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. But uh, we've taken a couple weeks off, and we want to welcome you guys in who are listening into the podcast, as well as people who are list- uh, streaming this right now live. Uh, as with me, as always, is Mr. Paul Byer. You can follow him on twi- Twitter at pbizzle. Paul, how are you tonight, sir? I'm wet. It's very wet up here in the Seattle metropolitan area. So wet is the answer for this evening. <laughs> Yes, what is the answer? And it's that time of year where we got another five, five or six months of straight rain, so it's coming. But uh, um, we're getting to that time of season, man. So, all right, bud. So, pretty much what we got a jam packed show tonight, uh, hour and a half on the docket. So, what we're going to be talking about tonight is the Seahawks game from Sunday night. Uh, we're going to be also talking about Arena, uh, what's going on with Chris Hansen and. Uh, company about the private financing we're also going to be talking a little bit about this upcoming matchup against the saints coming up here as well as some walking dead and our reactions to what happened on sunday night so without further ado we're going to go ahead and start off with what happened on sunday night uh that matchup that was just a painful matchup very emotionally exhausting matchup to watch six six tie at the end of the day um behind two shanks from two field goal kickers, Stephen Hauschka and the other guy, I cannot pronounce his name, but uh, I will tell you that, that was a very, uh, um, I just felt the Seahawks were going to win that game. Unfortunately, um, Stephen Hauschka is cursed down there at the University of Phoenix Stadium. I, I struggled with this, you know, all week since, you know, the last three days on how to characterize what we watched and I'm sorry, I'm just not going to buy this. I'm a field goal kicker and I have a hard time in a certain building. The grass Mm -hmm. there is, is it's like playing on, you know, Augusta national uh, fairways. Okay. It's, this is not like, for God's sakes. I mean, you want to talk about a bad field. Let's talk about like FedEx field in, in, in Washington, DC. Right. I mean, that's a terrible field and it just gets worse and worse as the year goes on. 
that field in Arizona is, is awesome. There's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, I'm just not going to buy this excuse. He, look, I'll tell you right now, I, and I'm, I, I am a huge fan of Stephen Hoshka. I know people that are really good friends, very close to him and his family. He's a great guy. I mean, I, this is not some, you know, negative beat up on Stephen Hoshka situation for me. But what it is, is, is that for the last two years, year and a half, I'd say, I have really seen a different kicker. And what I mean by that is the, just the trajectory alone. I mean, and, and tell me if I'm wrong. I really want you to tell me if I'm wrong on this, Tim. But his trajectory is, is half, in my opinion, of what normal field goal kicker, you know, professional kicker. He kicks it very low. And I almost feel like he's lucky a lot of the time for a, a lot more of his kicks not to be blocked. But for him, his trajectory is low. Uh, and then, you know, the last year and a half, he's also started to struggle with, you know, he used to just be automatic. At least, I wouldn't say automatic like down the middle every time, but he really was down the middle on most of his kicks. N- never really sneaking in on one way or the other. And and now he is, I mean, he, we're, I, I'm at the edge of my seat right now on, on extra points, to be quite honest with you. And it, it just seems like he is not comfortable. And, and again, I go back to this trajectory. I, I watch a ton of football. His trajectory is so low. I mean, I'm shocked that he's still a, a kicker in the league. I, I don't know. Do you see that same thing that I'm, I'm discussing right now? Well, you know, I, I can see it, um, but I will kind of differ my opinion real quick on this. And here's what I'll say about the, 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 this whole situation regarding that. Since the new rule was implemented, uh, implemented about a year ago uh, for kicking out, uh, what, what is it, 25 yards now, 30 yards for a field goal, whatever the 33, new rule 33. is. 33. Yeah, 33, yeah. I think it really has made a lot of kickers struggle um, when, it, when, it, when it comes to being automatic. I mean, I've even seen it from the greatest kicker of all time, Adam Van Terry. Um, you know, and you alluded that you watch a lot of football. But what I will say is, Paul, is that, you know, I agree with you when it comes to he hasn't been automatic like he used to be. But I think also there, there's a point in time, because if you look at it, kickers don't really go out in the field other than when they're called upon, like the field goal situation. So you won't see him on the field like the defense, obviously like the offense, or even, you know, for the most part on special teams, you know, they're the last resort down the field before you got a guy running back. Uh, he's just going to sit there and laugh at the kicker and, and pretty much, you know, that he's not a threat. So my point is, is that when you look at what Hauschka has been able to do the past couple of years, yes, I would agree with you that his trajectory is not the same, not as strong, but I do think that there's some mental issues that are there. And that happens to every kicker literally in the national football league. I mean, you saw some of the greatest like kickers of all time, Scott Norwood after, um, that, that Buffalo Bills Super Bowl where he just was never the same after that. I mean, we, we've watched it with, with lots of kickers. One little moment can really spur that. Now, do I know what moment it was? No, I don't. But what I will say is, is that, you know, I think it's the beginning of the end for this guy um, just because mm-hmm. when you are right down the field and you're 28 yards away from making a field goal, a chip shot at that, you've got to make that. And I agree with you. Yeah, it, it, look, I mean, that was a chip shot. That was, this is, we're talking Blair Walsh, you know, uh, NFC wildcard game last year, miss. We're talking, this is a extra, it was an extra point, the old extra point. I mean, that's, it, that's how it felt, how close we were. 
And I right. mean, I honestly was like, I, I, I hated to say it because at the moment, because I felt like I was jinxing it. And hey, maybe we should all blame me for the fact that we lost the game because I, I literally was thinking, this game's over. He, I mean, what an amazing win for us to get out of here with. And, and the defense played so fantastic. Uh, and, and to have him go out there and not just shank the ball, he missed the field goal net. I mean, that's how far left he pulled that. He missed the net. And that is just, I mean, oof. I, I just, I, it, was, it, was, it was shocking. <clears throat> I was shocked that he missed that. And he just, he missed it by as much as he did, which, again, tells me, and I think it coincides with what you're talking about here, Tim, is that I think there is some mental issues with him. I think he is not comfortable. I don't know either what it is, why it, where it started, and, and why, but it is evident to me that he's got some, he's got some, fears out there right now and uh and look the, the fact of the matter is he's a professional he's paid three point some odd million dollars a year to be the kicker for this team and you know when you got a defense like this you can't that that kicker gets paid the way he is to because he's a guy that's going to make sure that those field goals are made when you need them and and we're not talking about just during the middle of the game we're talking about when the game matters at the end and you know, the, the coaching and the defensive play to put us in a position to, to be able to, to steal, I, again, steal a win. We obviously got outplayed offensively, but to steal that win and then give it back in a way that it was, you know, the tie, which, again, still is a, a positive in, 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 in our win-loss season, you know, run here. But it's, man, we could have had more. We could have had more, and, and unfortunately, oh, yeah. you were, we, talk, we put it on Hotchka's back, but – Man, you know, there's a lot more to this story than Stephen Hoshka, but Stephen Hoshka, he's got to make the kick. Well, yeah, and I agree. I mean, you were 28 yards away from actually burying the Cardinals. That's a really huge hole to get out of, especially if you look at what's going on in the rest of the the, the uh, division. And mm-hmm. what I will say, what I what I will say about this whole thing is that you know, looking at, um, you know, the the Rams are struggling right now. The 49ers are they're arguably going to be probably the worst team. Um, in the National Football League, they'll probably get the number one pick. And then, of course, if you look at what's going on with, with the Cardinals, I mean, with their slow start, this was a chance to bury them. Uh, you know, fortunately, with the tie, you still put some distance between you and your, you know, you and them, which is good. I mean, your schedule coming up here is pretty favorable. Uh, you know, you, you go and play the Saints over in, in New Orleans, and then you play Buffalo. And, you know, and then if you look at the the – the the cardinal schedule it's a pretty tough schedule coming up here their their next couple of games or their next five games are pretty tough and you could have really just put the stamp on it now the tie is not necessarily negative it's actually pretty positive because again in in sort of playoff structuring coming up here this is going to haunt arizona more than it's going to haunt seattle if anything it's going to benefit seattle so anyways um Moving on to what you talked about, the defense, and I will say this. The defense in general, I think they played probably one of the best games I think I've ever seen a defense play. Because if you look at it, Paul, the time on the clock when they played, they played over, what, 49 minutes, something like that? Just straight on defense with the offense struggling the way that it was. And they played that dynamic to hold that great of an offense to only six points in their house. That was an epic performance. And they – they put everything out in the field there. And I, I, I watched the, the post-game report with Michelle Tafoya and Bobby Wagner. Wagner was just like, I wish we had another, you know, quarter to play, you know, because that's how much of a zone these guys were locked in on Sunday night. 
I, I think for me, that defensive performance, other than Super Bowl uh, 48, um, will go down in history as the greatest single Seahawks defensive performance of this, of this for me, it's I've ever seen. It, it was absolutely unreal. Not only, again, you, you, you hit it right up on the money, Tim. It wasn't just the performance from the standpoint of yards and, and, and defensive stops and all that. It, it, you have to put it all together with the amount of plays that they were on the field and who they were facing. Uh, on top of the plays they made when plays had to be, I mean, and, and for defenses, it's already tough to make plays like that. Like we're talking blocking a kick. I mean, what are the odds, you know, maybe 5% of the time they're going to block a kick, you know, but they did things every time to give the offense what they needed in order just to, to, to get the tie. And it, it, I just, it, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And again, a lot of people will say how, well, what a crappy game to watch. That was as good a football game you could ever watch for two defenses on a field. Uh, Arizona has obviously played just fantastic and shut us down, made us look silly. But the the Seahawks defense just was unbelievable on so many different levels. And I'll I'll bring up a couple things. One was there were there were a few moments where we actually ran a play, a defensive play. They they knew it was you know you remember the Texans game from from uh, from three years ago where, you know, we, we were on the road and we were getting completely outplayed by the Texans, but we were still in the game. And at the end of the game, you know, before the fourth quarter, Richard Sherman intercepts a pass, takes it to the house, and uh, gets us to a scenario where we can actually come back and we end up scoring a late touchdown and then a field goal in overtime during right. the game. Well, yep. what was so interesting is that that, that interception that, that the Seahawks, uh, Richard Sherman made, that was a play. They had drawn that up in the week of practice they knew that based on a formation, a certain reaction Matt Schaub would have. And they knew exactly where the ball would be thrown. They had it all figured out, and they, pulled, they, they called that specific defensive play. It was a play in response to a formation and a situation, and, and they, they ran the exact same play they wanted, and then they made a pick. If you remember in this game, that same thing happened with – Earl Thomas. Remember the pass where Earl Thomas was, was right on the money. Some people thought that maybe he could have intercepted it uh, and taken it back to the house. He was maybe just a little late on his break. But that was a play, clear and simple to me. That was a They called that. It's a risk move. But they called that because they believed that's where the ball would be thrown. And I think they were thinking, again, defensively, we're going we're gonna to have to score the touchdowns because the offense can't do jack squat. And that's the kind of in tuneness that this defense is, especially with the coaching staff. And that that's the stuff that amazes me uh, because they know that is, that is schoolwork. That's the homework. They do the work in the, in the week before to know what they need to do in a, in a matchup. And when a, to see something like that, that to me is just, that's elite stuff, elite uh, play calling defensively. And obviously going through the motions, the, the players uh, unbelievable, and and again, you just you just cannot say enough about this performance by the defense, Seattle defense. Yeah, exactly, and especially holding a guy like David Johnson. I mean, David Johnson got his yards, and he's arguably probably, in my mind right now, the uh, arguably the best running back in the National Football League right now, just by the way that he plays, and he's just he reminds me of a uh, kind of a light carbon copy of Marshawn a little bit by the way how Hardy runs. Um, but, you know, looking at how they were able to neutralize that. And, look, I mean, he got his yards, and I get that. But, you know, had it been against any other defense, Paul, I think 
you know, he would have went off for, you know, 200 plus yard, all purpose yards. I mean, that would have been just how it would have gone. Um, you know, look, I want to flip on the offense right now. And I think that's a serious thing that we should talk about. Um, you know, the offense is just not there. I mean, I, you know, obviously Russell Wilson with his injuries, I mean, he got another injury with pectoral, uh, do that play that Chandler Jones hit him the other night. And you look at him right now, he was still able to drive down the field at the end of the game uh, when he had to. Um, but what concerns me about this is, is that, you know, they keep throwing him out there and he, they keep saying, well, no, he's, you know, his strengths are basically, you know, to be a mobile type quarterback and then doing, you know, making throws, but now he's in the pocket making throws. Problem is he's hurt. And what you're seeing is, is that they're not able to make sustainable drives, let alone, they don't even have a running game right now. Christine Michael, in my opinion, and I'm just going to be very strong about this. He is a half-ass runner. He's not a guy that I want starting on my football team. And I look at him and, you know, he has bursts here and there, but he's not consistent. And to me, you need a guy back like Thomas Rawls that can be that way, but unfortunately he's hurt. So what do you have? You have Christine Michael, and unfortunately they're ranked up right now on, on yards per carry when it comes to rushing yard. They're 31st in the league. 31st, mm-hmm. Paul, when this team was actually literally, uh, you know, up in the top five for the past four years. So you think about this, looking at this team right now, they need the running game to get going to offside what, what Russell Wilson can do. Unfortunately, he's only able to make passes – He's not mobile right now just because he's injured. Unfortunately, you will not see that for the rest of the year. So what concerns me about all this and just looking at what what this offense is is doing right now, yeah, they got the playmakers there. But there's a lot of cause to be be concerned about what's going on there, and they got to shape it up. Unfortunately, you can't make Russell Wilson heal faster. What concerns me, I mean, obviously Russell Wilson's injury status, especially coming out today with that uh, right pectoral, issue and again he was limited in practice so he did practice but uh, they wanted to take it easy on him that that tells me that it I don't want to say it's not as serious but I think everything is serious for him right now because of how you just think of it as a as a as a cumulative uh, effect on him the more these little injuries again they're not little either he's got two big injuries the knee and the ankle high ankle sprain and you start throwing in just a little something here a little something there that will affect his play and you're right Tim you know him not being able to be a runner and he's having to stay in the pocket which again I know he can do all those things all right I got I got no issues with him being a pocket passer throwing the ball the guy can throw the dime but the issue is is that he has a sieve of a offensive line especially focusing on the tackles and Gilliam and Sewell and now Sewell now being out it is absolutely, it was absolutely scary. And it, it reminded me of that preseason game last year against the Broncos where, you know, yeah. Von Miller basically had open runs at, at Russell Wilson every single play. And I really thought he was going to get killed. Um, it, it, this was, this started to feel like that because Chandler Jones and, and that other guy who's, who's having a year out of his mind, apparently I can't remember off the top of my head, you know, those two guys went bananas and, um, it just to, to say that I think he only got knocked down six times or something to that effect. I'm something I, I just was like, what? Like, it seemed like he was getting pounded every single yeah. play. So, um, <laughs> right. I, you know, but then now what are you going to do with the injury situation? I mean, now that you're, you're talking about throwing George Fant in there, who George Font has only played a, a tackle. Not only, I'm not talking like in his, uh, like this year or last year in, uh, you know, in his, his career, I'm talking, 
forever. He's only played in three games. Tackle. Right. Yep. He's now going to be the starting left tackle for the Seattle Sea. I am freaking, you know, oh, I don't even know what to say. I mean, if I was any NFL team, I'm, I'm, I'm blitzing every single time backside. I'm going to throw everything at that guy. And, and you know what? The chances are someone's going to get through and have an open, open back end on Russell Wilson. And next thing you know, broken back, you know, game ender, career ender, freaking not only season over, but, you know, Seahawks history is over. It's freaking game set match. I'm, I don't know. I, this is really concerning to me as well. I, I agree. I agree. But you have to look at it like from this too. What is the, the common Seahawks fan when you go on Twitter? They're, they're saying trade for Joe, Joe Thomas or Joe Staley, right? So we heard it all day on the radio today, yada, yada, yada. Thing is, is that they're not going to do it. Um, they're not going to make a trade to – I mean, they're not going to even give up a first-round pick for a guy like Joe Thomas, especially that contract. They just don't invest that money. So, I mean, look, it is what it is. I mean, they can probably shop for somebody there. But, you know, again, I think they're pretty convicted on what they're trying to do there. And they really believe in what Tom Cable, Cable is able to do and, and what their second-half adjustments. But the, the thing that really concerns me, last year when they made their second-half adjustments, Russell Wilson was healthy. This year, you don't have that luxury this year. That's, that's the unfortunate thing. What he did last year with his mobility really compensated for the lack of protection. And so this year what you're seeing is, is he has no, you know, the lack of mobility, and you're seeing this guy get pounded over and over and over. And unfortunately, when I look at what's going on with, with what's going on with his offense, I mean, he doesn't have enough time. He has literally like – the most that he has is what 2.5 seconds to, to really orchestrate a play. That's a lot. Of, that could be a lot of time, I, I suppose. But I mean, you know, for Russell Wilson right now, just the way that he's hobbled, I mean, that's not a whole lot of time. And so what you look at is, you know, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of faith in Tom Cable. Yes. Structuring this line. Problem is, is what you're looking at is that that quarterback is not exactly healthy in, in what he was able to do last year. Hey, look, I, I, I have faith in Tom Cable. I think we all have faith in Tom Cable. Sure. It's just sure. this particular situation where, I, I mean, I can see us piecing it together with, with Soul and, and Gilliam, and, yeah, they're going to improve and all that. I, I'm, 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 I'm the guy that talked about that last, you know, the last two years the whole time, and I totally believe in all that because it is the fact. The, the longer they play together, the better they're going to be, and, and we know they have the abilities. You know, they want these athletic – end tackles that's how tom cable does it you know that's one of these reasons that these guys are converted you know font is a converted uh a basketball player and and gilliam a converted tight end you know these guys didn't play this position in college very limited so um the thing is is that it's it's now putting font in the and again i'm saying it probably wrong i think it's fant but anyways putting him at left tackle I mean, this is the blind side, right? You know, pardon yeah, the pun yeah. per se, right? And and it yeah. is the it's the position where you know defensive coordinators. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that they are going to blitz every, almost every play from that backside, and and they're going to just play games with fine. And and all it takes is one guy getting through and lighten up Russell Wilson's world. And with everything else that he's got going on, that's what, just so concerning. So it, look. It, it, I, he needed a year. I know that then they wanted him. They really like his tool set, right? Skill set. But to have him this early in there, I almost feel like Odiombo would be better, you know? And I know that some people have brought that up, but 
Ah, I don't know, man. I, I would have made a trade. I know that sounds stupid probably, but I would have made the trade. I would have made the trade before the season started, especially to somehow try to get um, the guy from Cleveland. I, I, I keep Staley's in my head, but um, you know what I'm talking Joe about. Thomas. Joe, Joe, Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas. <clears throat> and and uh, I just don't understand. I do understand because they have a they have their own formula, you know, but – it, it man, it, we are we are now at that cr- cr- mission critical because we are so thin and uh, at the position. And now you've got this 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 guy who I, I, God bless him, man. I hope to God he he is living in the in the in the Tom Cable's house with him and getting all the tutorials possible because man, he is gonna he's gonna get the kitchen sink thrown at him this week and going forward. Uh, but uh, man, I just. And he wasn't that bad. He wasn't as bad, honestly. He, he did. I mean, we did do well at the end of the game. We moved the ball. But this is a guy that they are now going to test constantly. He, he's not going to get like a, a benefit of the doubt. Defensive coordinators are going to light him up, and it's just going to be, can he make these reads? Because it's, and it's difficult when you're talking about the NFL players and NFL defensive coordinators. Yeah, no, I mean that's a blueprint. That's what you look at. I mean, that, <clears throat> the blueprint is is just a rush Ru- Russell Wilson company. So it, it's going to be interesting, Paul. We'll see what happens. Fortunately, they play New Orleans this week, so it's going to be a very. Um, I mean, they don't have a pass rush that you're going to look at and go, "Oh my goodness." I mean, it's not Arizona. It's not you know Miami. It's not uh, even San Francisco. I think San Francisco has some guys that can pa- rush rush the passer, but you know you just move on and. We'll see. I mean, we'll talk probably this time next week, barring anything, and we'll see exactly what happens. But, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that New Orleans is, is a uh, <clears throat> like like a shoe-away defense, but I'm saying it couldn't come at a better time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, it just – this type of game couldn't come at a better time. But at the same time, we'll just see how the offense reacts and see if Russell Wilson can make these passes because that pectoral, as we saw with uh, Tavares Jackson, is very uh, troubling. So, We'll see. We will see. So, I mean, well, but, do you uh, think? Do you think it's? Do you think that that injury for him? I mean, honestly, I mean, this. Let's just you know, cut to the chase. Do you think it's a serious pectoral injury? I mean, look, we know uh, T-Jax was was torn, right? I mean, that what he did was pretty amazing to even play. I mean, yeah. I think that I think he I think it's sore. I don't think it's I don't think it's torn. I mean, it could be, I guess, but. I mean, he, he he how he played the rest of the game is what kind of was the is the indicator to me that it's not as serious because he really he looked great at the end of the game. I mean, he was finding Jimmy Graham and we were moving the ball, uh, and it was obviously quick short passes. Uh, but but he, he looked like he looked like a normal Russell Wilson. I mean, do you think it's a serious injury or you think they're just kind of trying to be error on the caution side? Well, do you want me to give you my honest answer on yeah, what I really feel well, of about course. this? Of course. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, I. Okay. So the Seahawks training staff is probably the most secretive group of people that you'll see, like the coaching staff and, and all. So basically, you know, when it comes to injuries, they don't say anything until like it's a game time decision, and we'll see what happens. But that being said, I think it's a really bad injury, and the reason why I say it is, is if you watch that play where Chandler Jones went, you know, uh, got that football. Actually, he stripped that football. The way that Russell Wilson was actually positioned, and he he had his feet planted, and the way he was torquing, like Chris Collins were was talking about, getting ready to throw that football. 
he was in a position where like his chest and his arm were ready to just his a whole upper body strength was ready to make that throw. And when you have something that completely counters that at that type of speed, that I, I think in that throwing motion at that particular time, that's the reason why, I mean, for him to finish the game the way he did. And here's the optimism Seahawks fans that are listening on here tonight for Wilson to finish the game the way he did for them to drive down the field at the very end of the game. And you have, you, you can hang your hat on that. You can definitely do that. Now, you're going to ask me this question. Well, it was probably the Cardinals' defense being tired. That may be so, and I get that. However, I do think to play that way, because they, they played, they matched the Seahawks' intensity defense-wise the whole game, and you can hang your hat on the fact that Russell Wilson was able to, you know, have them drive down the field. Now, my thing is is that when you suffer an injury like that, it takes two or three days for the, real, the soreness to really kick in, and that's why I think he was limited today. So we won't fully know what the injury is, but I do think it's worse than what, what they're saying it is. And, okay. and and we will never know because all the past injuries he's had before, have we known, you know, like remember that time when he hurt his back and we were just like, okay, well, he hurt his back, but no, they didn't say anything. And, you know, I mean, he played the whole season, so – fact is is that they keep it pretty secretive and if he says he can go he can go and that's just the way he is so um i would say it's worse but again we will never know because again look at the training staff and the coaching staff they just they, again they they they, ne- they don't let us know anything <laughs> well they don't want anyone to know anything obviously uh let alone yeah. us but you're i think you know what that's that's a good analysis because the fact is is that they are very secretive and so when they're forced to basically announce something like this, it probably is worse than, than, than what they're saying. And yeah, darn it. Well, thanks. You just made my night. I really appreciate that, Tim. Where are my firearms? Where are my firearms? Okay. Just like that idiot, just like that idiot representative today talked about like, well, if Hillary's going to become president, I'm going to grab my musket. Who's in it. Who's in with me today. You know, it's just like, come on now. I mean, uh, here, here's the deal. I mean, the thing is, is that he always fully participates in practices. I've very rarely heard him, if at all, be in limited capacity at, at practice ever. He always fully participates. So that's what con- that's what concerns me. And are my concerns valid? Maybe, um, or maybe I'm just reading into, into into this really too much. So you know, you never know. But what I will say is, is that if you, uh, you know, you know. Russell Wilson is going to be able to um, play through this. That's just the way he is. He's kind of the Iron Man of of, of um, football right now, and his teammates really respect the hell out of him just because of the way you know he, he does this. I mean, he's just a gamer, and he wants to always stay in. Dude, the guy could have a broken leg. I mean, he probably does right now. Who knows? Yeah. And the guy just still wants to go in and play. You know, he's just like, what the hell? Let's go. So. He's the Jack Youngblood, and for those that don't, I don't know. Do you know who Jack Youngblood is? When I say that, Tim Gardner. Uh, uh, yes, I do. I know Jack Youngblood, great player for the Rams. Am I right? Right, right. So Jack Youngblood. Here's a story. So Jack Youngblood in Super Bowl. I don't know what number. I guess it would have been uh, 34, 24. It was 1980 when they were playing in the Rose Bowl against the the Steelers. They won their fourth uh, uh, um, uh, Super Bowl and uh, in the game. But the, the Rams were the NFC, the NFC's representative. Jack Youngblood was a 
a stud defensive lineman. I think he's, I think he's a Hall of Famer now. But the story is, is that he breaks his leg in the uh, in the NFC Championship versus I think it was Dallas, and he he actually played in the Super Bowl two weeks later or one week later, and they just duct taped his leg, and he played on with obviously tons of painkiller shots put in his leg just to play, but. And those are, that's the that's the North Dallas Forty, uh, uh, re, you know, reference for those that don't know about North Dallas Forty. Just watch North Dallas Forty; it's a great movie. But uh, the, they 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 totally loaded him up with painkillers, but they just duct taped his leg because it was broken. He played on a broken leg in the Super Bowl, and I mean, we're not talking Amazing. like I'm not I'm not talking like a weight bearing bone anything. I'm talking about a broken femur. Guy played the Super Bowl. I mean, that's yeah, crazy time stuff. That, that's, you know, and, and, and <clears throat> I got one to a lesser degree. I still always look back at, you know, we might think, pardon my language here, but we might think that Ter- uh, Terrell Owens is an asshole. But remember when he played with the Torrey ACL in, in the uh, Super Bowl yeah. with Don McNabb? Yeah. That was amazing. That was amazing. That was just playing with a torn ACL in the Super Bowl. Just, I mean, say what you will about T.O. I mean, that was just ballsy. So, I mean, he could have really damaged his career there. So that, you know, just crazy. So, well, hey, look, NFL players, and this is why I say they are the most underpaid professional athlete, and it's not even close. They are, they, they're the physical, the physical damage they do to their bodies uh, is, is unreal. And I really do empathize and sympathize with them. Uh, and I do think they're underpaid. Uh, I think they should definitely be paid more. I mean, you look at what professional baseball players make, and granted, they play 162 games plus. But I'm t- I'm sorry, with the, how much amount of money that the NFL brings in, and to see these guys for what they provide, uh, not get paid even close to the same level as just like I said, NBA or or uh, major league baseball players. It, it's shocking to me, to be quite honest with you. So they they tear their bodies apart, and they do it for for themselves. They do it for the paycheck and they also do it for their, their, their communities. I mean, we all know how much we have such a connection here with uh, the Seahawks, but you know, it, it is amazing what Russell Wilson's doing. And obviously there's a litany of stories that have happened in the history of the NFL of seeing these guys play with just horrific injuries. Uh, but uh, it's the, it's what happens after their careers. It's, it's almost even worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we, you know, we, we've talked about that in previous episodes too. So check out our, our podcast, uh, and from the past, we've got a whole library of them. You guys can listen to them from years past. And, and we've got some really good episodes. I think it was year two that we did on concussions, which was phenomenal. So uh, you're going to have to go in the archives on that. Paul and I cannot tell you exactly which episode it was, unfortunately, because Not a we chance. actually have, yeah, yeah. yeah we, <laughs> we have lives. We have lives, unfortunately. Sorry about that, people. So um, anyways, <clears throat> moving on. Um, I want to kind of go uh, t- touch a little bit on yesterday's announcement about uh, Chris Hansen in the arena. And, and I really yeah. wanted to address this just because um, Barry, and, Barry and I had a really interesting conversation yesterday regarding this. And um, I, I think this is great news. And I, I'm not going to be pessimistic like the morning show was this morning on 710 about them saying that it's not going to happen and, you know, and, and, and they're not too excited about it because of city council, yada, 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 whatever. But for one or two days, can we just kind of celebrate the fact that, that this guy's going all in about basically funding this whole thing privately. And this is 
to a point where I look at it and just go, wow, that's commitment. Not only commitment, but what, what's so crazy about this, Paul, and it's so great about it, it, it's, you know, they're willing to actually address the problems with the lander overpass to his wall or yeah. by there. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I look at it, I'm like, this is a complete gift for the city of Seattle. And let's mm-hmm. not talk about the council right now, but I, I think just in general, that news that broke yesterday, I mean, it, it is absolutely just, it's, it's amazing what Chris Hansen has been able to do, especially yesterday. You know, I think it, it, it's amazing news, first of all. But to kind of go back in time, I mean, there was – we all kind of bounced around in, in, on multiple layers and levels to this that, you know, was was Chris Hansen really I – mean, I mean, look, the deal that they gave the city initially was pretty damn sweet, okay, with, with the way the financing was guaranteed from, from, the, from Chris Hansen's perspective and his group. But, and, and obviously, again, we're not going to get into the city council stuff yet, but that was a sweet deal. But we, we kind of worried about the fact that Chris Hansen wasn't, you know, he didn't go to the city council meeting, right, and, and actually talk. Uh, there was really limited uh, uh, involvement from the group. It was just kind of like they were playing the big game in the behind closed doors. There wasn't a lot of talk or media from them. And it was the, obviously the port uh, doing all the, the, and the Mariners doing all the bad press against them. But, and so it was kind of like, well, maybe, maybe he wasn't all in on this. You know, maybe, you know, maybe he it just was like going to say, I'm going to give you a great deal. If you don't take it, then, okay, I guess I'm out of this. And that's that. Um, or maybe he just wasn't prepared somehow. You know, he didn't, he didn't expect the, the council and the port and the Mariners to act the way they did. But to then come back with this deal, I mean, it's, it's basically, to me, it was indicated to me that something big was happening when he started buying some more land down there. That meant that he wasn't giving up to me. I was like, he's not giving up. Something's going to happen. And, and now, what, just like a month later, this this comes out. I, I personally think it's it's the finger to to the port. It's the finger to the mariners. It's the finger to the council. And it's like we are fully in and fully committed. And now you have zero reasons not to say yes. You have zero reasons not to say yes. And then when you throw in the lander overpass, the money where you know, I think Wally Walker talked about this yesterday on a couple of the shows. And by the way, I did not listen to any radio yesterday. I just listened to the Wally Walker uh, interview, and I think it was with 710. Uh, but I am so pissed off with Salk. I can't even talk. I mean, that guy is so freaking – he is so in the bag and bought and paid for by whoever. The, obviously, the, the corporate, you know, 710 is in, in, obviously part of the Mariners and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he, he's, he's throwing the company line. He's not giving you a, a, an honest perspective on this. So that's why I think it's complete bullshit. What, what he, sorry, pardon the language. But – um, That's fine. Anyways, getting back to what I'm trying to get at here is that the lander overpass, they're saying, look, we'll pay for that $25 million uh, overage uh, that, or shortage that you are. I mean, that's a, like you said, that's a total gift. And how they're going to pay for it is they're saying, look, we're going to buy Occidental from you, okay, to do this. And that money, you can then put that, apply that towards uh, the shortage, and it'll be $25 million. I mean, that's a huge chunk of money, one. But two, that's a, a, a exactly what you said, Tim, a huge gift to the city. They have basically said, look, the gym, we've, we've, we went ahead and, and cut it for you. It's perfectly you know, beautiful, shiny. It's worth bazillions of dollars, and we're going to give it to you. 
all you got to do is is give us the the setting give us the the, the you know provide the 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 holding spot and and that just means they got to say okay we can vacate occidental and it's game set match we're going to have this thing and we're going to get an nba team but will they do that so that that kind of goes back to well, now what happens tim I'm here. Yeah, and I apologize. I have my phone on mute because a car was driving by. I'm actually oh. sorry. I'm out on the deck. <laughs> yep. Excuse me. No um, worries. Anyways, okay. um, so basically, and yes, folks, we do actually talk on our phones during this. Or uh, Paul uses headset. Um, I sometimes use a headset. Anyways, it's um, whatever. But moving on. Um, yeah, and, and basically what, what, what you're talking to and kind of a, a good segue. Yeah. It's, it's basically the city council's, you know, move at this point. And Burgess was on the radio today talking with uh, some of the guys today. I think it was Ian and Puckett. And, um, you know, he was pretty much noncommittal on his interview today. And, you know, look, I mean, I understand that because he has to deal with the other delegates in the, in the, uh, the council that, that have to make these votes. Um, I think there are people in the council that are completely dead against it, uh, a la Sally Bagshaw. But I think that there's other ones in the council uh, that are willing to flip that vote around. Now, I think where they were very apprehensive in the first place during this whole thing, the women were. And look, I mean, I got a lot of respect for these ladies, but at the same time, they pissed me off just because of that, that vote in May. But I do understand what they're talking about. Some of the ones that were really concerned about the public funding, I get that. Because when you're entering a entity where you, you have to provide public funding, especially when you're looking at you have to improve your schools, you have to improve more roadways, everything that's going on in the city of Seattle, King County up there, you have to look at these bigger issues first. Now, don't get me started on why these idiots up there did not the, the light rail system up there, if they can do it in Portland, why in the hell can they not do it in Seattle? And that pisses me off. I, I That's one thing that really will piss me off probably till the end of time. Oh, I, Paul, don't get me started on that. <clears throat> but my point is, is regarding this, getting back to this issue, is that if a couple of ladies in that, in that council, council, uh, you know, they, they, what they look at, if there's no public funding in this whole situation there, I think they flip that vote around. But it's not going to be everybody. I still think it's going to be a probably, you know, a, a 6-3. I think there's going to be three of them that are going to be dead set against this. I think, you know, they just had one one more vote in that in that council, like, ship that, that should have voted because they were going to vote for, for the vacation last year. However... Uh, again, when public funding is always brought up, that's when, when they get very apprehensive. So my point is about that. I think Excuse. that they will flip this around, um, and I, I really do think it's going to be a positive because this is all they needed to do because Chris Hansen's always had this in his back pocket uh, to do as a last resort. Now, if they turn this down just by saying we're still scared of the poor, you know, we're still, you know, port is part of the tradition that we usually do up here, yada, yada, yada. You know, they're turning down something that is an absolute gift, and I think they're moronic for doing it and stupid. And you thought that people went, you know, haywire in May. Think about what will happen if they turn this down again for being a privately funded arena where nothing is at stake for the city of Seattle. If they turn this thing down and they listen to the port again, 
I mean, you, there's just going to be a major outcry for the majority of citizens in King County. It's just going to be crazy. Uh, you know, I, I liked uh, and I, I appreciated, by the way, Q13 is a, obviously the local Fox channel here. Bill Wixey and one of their their reporters, they went down there this morning to Occidental. And because obviously the question and, the, and what you hear from the port, the excuses and and uh, and what they keep throwing out there is that, oh, my God, we, we need this road for for just important traffic to the port. I mean, we have overflow going through there, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? They went ahead and went down there today, this morning, bright and early, the whole thing, two cars in six hours, two trucks, six hours, two trucks. Now, what's even better, and again, I, I, I appreciate the fact they did this, but what I kind of go back in time and I say, well, why weren't you talking about something that the Bring Back Our Sonics guys did, where they went down there actually and they recorded a full week on top of one of those warehouses, and they had a camera, and I watched this whole thing. For an entire week, they showed how many – the traffic that went through that street. And I think, seriously, it was so – like seven trucks the entire week went through there. I mean, it was that low. It was, it was, like, it was like this whole argument of the, 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 the truck traffic and how they need that area, blah, blah. It's complete BS. They don't need the warehouses. They've already noted that there's literally a, a lawn on top of one of them with weeds growing out of the top of the warehouse. It's a complete dump area the the alley isn't the road isn't a road it's an alley uh and then this kind of goes back to the port and look we all know the port the mariners all are against it because if they have their own you know personal reasons but the guy goes the, the mariners they're a private organization okay and they grant they are a community-based team and they need to always be aware of the community when they make decisions like this but and i think it's bullshit that they're against it again pardon my language but the port is a public public entity and they are acting like a private one in my opinion because they are being maniacal in how they are trying to work the public folks and in case uh, uh manipulating we know gonzalez was manipulated not only by bagshaw but and by the way from here on out just so you know sally bagshaw will never be called sally bagshaw by me again this is the last time i'll, I'll reference her is that her new name is bagsy and you can hashtag bagsy b-a-g-s-y that's her name Bagsy, okay, and then Gonzalez, her last name is now Gonzo. So Bagsy and Gonzo, that's who they're, this is, this is the two, the, du, the duo that we're now referring to. The, 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 the shady backroom deal that took place before in the last vote where, where Gonzo, you know, was met with by Bagsy in a private room for 10 minutes and all of a sudden Gonzo changes their vote. Well, I listened to her yesterday as well, and she referenced, again, just like you said with Burgess, completely like oh yeah we got to look at it you know even when told like how could you say no to this deal i mean it's private there's no reason to say no well we really had to look at the the traffic and again so non-committal just like you mentioned tim it, it is so apparent to me that these people are in the bag paid for bought sold by the port and it is completely just again a, rep- a representation of the corruption in our city, not only just city municipality governments, obviously throughout the country, it's, it's just rampant right now in politics. It, it, it befuddles me. It, it pisses me off to high heaven, and it, it gets me in a bad mood, which I don't want to be because this is a great thing that we now have in front of us. But, but if these – and what you mentioned about city council and the, the numbers, you just need one of those women to change their vote. You just need one. Okay. Now, we all know Bagsy is a full-out liar. 
but Gonzo has the chance to redeem herself right here. And again, we know that three or four of them out of the five are, are literally communists or, or socialists, whatever you want to call it, but they're, they're freaking commies, all right? But the point is, is that they, we just need one of them to change their mind. And when you're given a gift like you just said, I mean, <clears throat> how you cannot say no to this. And the pressure is going to be immense. Um, heck, this might be now time for me to go to the city council and actually do my talk because I know that I can hit, knock it down. Bam, 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 bam. And I might just do that because I am so livid with that last vote. I didn't go to the city council meeting, but someone's goddamn has to stand up there and throw back from a community perspective that we are not going to get played by you again. And it needs to be, you need to think about the community. Okay. You need to think about the community because that's what this is about. Who can you depend on when things really get backed up against the wall? It's the guy next door. And in this case, our city has proven over and over and over and over again that when things really get bad and or things get really good, the, ama- the environment can become so amazing, so amazing, and, and it can take over. That's what the Seahawks have done. Well, granted, we got to bring back – this. Chris Hansen has given us the opportunity to have the, oppor- the chance to bring back an NBA team and the Sonics. Oh, yeah. And you know what? He's gotta take, we got to take advantage of it. My God, you can't let this slip through your fingers. Well, and think about this. I mean, you're going to have the NHL within a two-year two time span. So think about that. So yeah. there's, a re- there's a reason why the NHL only expanded by one team when initially they were going to expand by two teams because they had two markets all along. What, they, what their mind state was is they had two markets all along, Las Vegas and Seattle. They never really entertained the idea of Quebec City. I'm sorry to all the Quebec people up there. I Quebec get games. that great – yeah, but and they never even entertained the idea of, of like you know Kansas City or these other markets that are out there. I mean, they wanted Las Vegas and they want Seattle. They want that rivalry with Vancouver, and that's what they want because what makes what makes a sport very popular? It's a rivalry, and you know the the fact is is that you know if they get that Seattle market, which they want really bad, there had to be something that Hanson and company heard from the NHL or the NBA to go, okay, well we're going to go all in on this now. To to address your what your point was, and I thought it was put quite eloquently and really really good. Um, I agree with you 100. percent And and my thing is, and by the way, that was brought to you by your friend and colleague, Mr. Aaron Levine, through Q13 Fox. He's the one that actually put that out there. So um, he's pretty – He's, I mean, so Levine is actually – he's he's kind of a uh, – I don't want to say – he's very anal about, like, this whole thing, and he has been the whole time it's been going on. And so what he's doing is he's actually – It was. I think it was his, him and Wissy's idea to put, the, put it out there seeing that traffic being out there. So, I mean, like with the port saying that, they're just blowing smoke up our asses. So I agree with you 100% about that. Now, I mean, when it comes to availability for getting sports teams going going forward, it's at your leisure now because, look, I mean, this is things going to get privately financed. We know the NHL is going to come. And we also know the NBA, they made 30% more more revenue than they've had in the history of their league last year due to such a great year last year, they're able to have enough revenue around the owners in order to create an expansion team in the next couple of years. So you think about this, this is a win-win situation, and it's going to bring revenue and jobs to the city of Seattle. So how I look at this right now, if the council members are in that much in bed with the Port of Seattle, which some of them are, 
if you want to evolve as a city and a, as a county in order to be a metropolis city that can grow the uh, grow the the economy the way that it's supposed to be in a big city like that, then you do it. You do it, no questions asked. And right now, it's easy for you because you got the damn thing right in front of you on a silver platter. A shiny silver platter. I mean, like yes. this thing. This thing has a turkey on it. It has stuffing. It's got the whole freaking kit and caboodle. All right, and yeah, maybe yeah. that's not a saying you've heard before, but I'll tell you right now, it's a yeah. lot, and that's really good. But yeah. I guess here's the thing: How do we? You know, we're not we're not we're not a political science podcast, obviously, and we're not trying right. to understand we're not trying to understand the dynamic of the whys and the what's for this, for the city council and, and, and what they're, what's really going on because God, honest truth, we haven't done the research, but it's pretty evident based on what we've seen in very limited time um, that something really shady is going on. And so the fact that, that Hanson has now done this and that group, and and you're right, they know, they know that there's something going on with the NHL because they actually, uh, uh, Wally Walker brought that up yesterday that, that, that that's, that's part of this deal. They're going to get an NHL team and God, how great would it be to have an NHL team? Oh my God. You guys be amazing. Li- live hockey. I'm telling you right now, folks, live hockey is the co- one of the coolest things you're ever going to see. And uh, I have seen it not only in Minnesota when I went to college there, seeing the, the, the college team, but also seeing the high school teams. I mean, they, it's, it's like Indiana basketball there guys. I mean, it's unbelievable. The, the level of talent yeah. and, and just watching games in this high school. Well, you know yeah. what, having a professional team here, it, it, we would, it's the kind of sport we would love. Uh, and uh, I, I, I expect us to have all of this, but the thing is, is that the city council has to get off their, not even get off their ass. They have to take their hands out of the pocket of the guy at the port who is a public organization, a public servant elected, elected public servant who is actively, you know, campaigning against another public community entity. That to me is so freaking corrupt. That that's 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 the shiny neon sign to me. Okay? That yeah. this guy should keep his mouth shut. This has nothing right. to do with him. It is not. It has nothing to do with the port from that perspective. Just because your neighbors doesn't mean that you get to actively camp. You're a you worked for the you work for us, you sob. You work for us. You don't work for someone else. You don't work for Bagsy and Gonzo. Okay. So and by the way, one last thing, and I know that I can rant, but I'm going to tell you this right now. You know, I I, had, I I have a couple of people that follow me on Twitter, obviously that are pretty connected. And the Sonics Gate guys, and and the, the Bring Back Our Sonics guys, and and so forth and so on. Well, you know, they responded to me yesterday because, and and again, I was not defaming and or being, uh, how do you say, uh, really, I was not calling out the person Bagsy Organzo. Okay, I was not doing some of the the things that people are really scared of because this is what Bagsy and Gonzo wanted all along when they went that they did that whole public national persona of how all the men in Seattle are pigs. Right. Cause we, cause some jack off, you know, told them that they should go, you know, F themselves or something. Right. In an email, yeah. which I can tell you right now that was limited at best. Now motions obviously running high here with everyone, but, but people are upset about the decision and and they're not. They're, no one's going to go out and do something horrible to these people. And if they are, they're idiots, right? They're they're bad people. 
But the, the, how they acted, it was evident that they wanted to scare us, the public, into silence. They wanted to say, don't you dare pick on me, and don't you dare say anything to me because I'm the one making the decisions. I'm in charge here, and if you do, we will destroy you in this BS political correctness crap, right? Well, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Would you just just don't include us in any of these, you know? And I'm I did I was not defaming. Like I said, I was not saying you know go f yourself or any of that kind of stuff. I was I said Bagsy and Gonzo are obviously now have nothing to 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 take away from their decision, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that they are corrupt. All right, and and it's evident based on their previous decision. But they now can write that wrong. Well, the point is is that we are living a freak society, folks. Freedom of speech is freedom of speech. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, and you still need to be able to talk. Okay. You still need to be able to discuss. And I'm not talking about defaming people. I'm talking about stating what is out right there, right in front of you. And I'm not going to be scared or frightened by some person. And I could have used another word there, but some person uh, who tries to use a social, um, uh, you know, this political correctness crap, to silence me, because guess what, folks? That just that just infuriated me, and I let them know that that that, that is wrong to do. Because we are talking about free speech, right. and and they need to make sure that Bagsy and Gonzo can't hide behind that. Okay, if they're doing something wrong, if they're being corrupt, it needs to be talked about, and it not we can't we can't play that game. We have to call a spade a spade, and I just want to make sure that's very clear to everyone. Sure. Yeah, and uh, that's a good point. You know, for every bad apple, and there's a lot of bad apples on, on social media out there. I mean, they say, I mean, look at Irish car bomb. And Irish, if you're listening to this, you are a troll to the fullest. And I'm sorry, buddy, but you are. Um, you're one of those people where you, you, you at people and you tell people that to F off and, and you slander, you know, athletes. And you've slandered these council people before. So, yeah, I'm going to call you out about that if you're listening to this. And, of course, you can call up anytime and argue with me about that i know you mean well but what i mean is is that for every bad apple all a car bomb there's there's like you know the rest of guys like you and me who can put it into a very articulate way about how we feel yes we're emotional but we're not going to go off the deep end and unfortunately for one bad apple these women were able to go nationally and say that they got yep. you know ver- verbally abused by such and such and such and you know and it's just the minority of us it's the minority and, and keep in mind there were women, minority. Yeah, there were women that attacked these women as well. So yeah. they're making oh, yeah. it sound like that 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 it was it was men. Look, I, I, to close this thing out, and you know, I don't think that when again, if it goes down where they vote no again, I, it's going to get bad, and it's and they they have to be prepared to, for the backlash because it's just going to happen, and. You know, there's going to be a ton more bad apples coming out of the woodwork, and it's just going to happen, unfortunately. So, you know, that's that's par for the course. And, uh, you know, just because this is a gift, and it's a great thing. And I, I want you guys to, to listen to part two of this next week because Paul and I are going to be uh, addressing this a little bit more next week. A lot more to talk about, but we got to go. We got a lot more to address. we got to talk about The Walking Dead as well as mm. um, <clears throat> next week's uh, – this, this Sunday's game – against the Saints. We're going to give our game picks on that and our final rants. But um, without further ado, um, I've been waiting six months, and 
you've been waiting six months and you know, I've been looking at spoiler sites. I've been, I've been just like, who the hell did Negan kill? And for all you people like are listening to this podcast, you don't even know what the walking dead is. I mean, you probably want to turn it off. Turn Spoiler it back alert. on about 15. Yeah. Turn us off. You know, turn us off for about 15 minutes or so. Come back and then we'll give our game picks. So what happened on Sunday night after that, just that, that exhausting game was heartbreaking. I mean, that episode was probably one of the most emotional, gut-wrenching episodes I think I've ever watched on TV. What do you think, man? Oh, it, it, you know, The Walking Dead, the writers, Scott Gimble, they do such an amazing job. And it, it, they just get better and better at their craft. But this, this emotional, uh, they put you in these scenes where you feel, you feel like you're with these people. I mean, if, it, it, it really honestly... It was the it was the same. If if we had lost that game against Arizona, the way I would have felt, that's how I felt watching watching The Walking Dead. It was, it was just this this pit in your stomach. You feel you you feel like you just lost your best friend. I know. And again, we're talking about a TV show. It's it's not real. I know that. But the way that they're able to get you to connect to these characters, it just is so freaking awesome. And that's why. I fell in love with the show and I wasn't a guy that watched the show initially. I found it after two seasons and I, I caught up obviously on uh, Netflix and watched, and I have been ever since then right in line with it. Uh, lockstep. Uh, it's just a great show. And I know everyone that it's not like a fan of the walking dead. You're probably thinking zombies, you know, I thought the same thing, uh, but it is what the Sopranos was to the mob stuff and mob movies and entertainment. It is it is that type of entertainment with just the background being that they're living in the apocalypse and, and there's dead people walking around. That's not what the story is. The story is about these people, and they are such great actors, such great character development. But, yeah, to watch what happens, spoiler alert, uh, not only we kind of expected Glenn to be the guy that goes down for the, for the dirt nap because that's what happened in the comics. Now, I don't read the comics. I specifically have take, not read the comics because I don't want to know what happens. Okay, but it's they. Uh, everyone talked about how Glenn was the guy that dies in the comics, and will he die again? Uh, and with him, with L- Lauren Cohen's character Maggie, who, by the way, Lauren Cohen is freaking a smoke show. But with yeah, Maggie, <laughs> Maggie being carrying Glenn's child, you just felt like, oh my god, if Glenn goes down, that's just going to just even be worse. And, but then, what do they do? They, they, they throw the curveball at you, and, and, and Abraham, uh, Michael Cudlitz, who's fan-freaking-awesome-tastic, uh, gets, gets the, the head, you know, the, the bat Lucille to the head, goes down, and you're like, wow, Glenn dodged a bullet. <laughs> and what do they do to you? Bam, you know, 10 minutes later, eh, I'm going to kill another one, and Glenn goes down. I mean, and th- that scene with Glenn with his eye, and oh, my God, I was just, that was amazing but, television on so many different levels. So many different levels. Yeah, it, it was, but it was a, such a random killing too. If you think about it, like it, it reminded me of the the killing of DiCaprio in The Departed, where he got killed in the elevator. It was just so quick and sudden. It was just yes. like boom, done. Yeah, it, it was. Yes. It, it was, and the way that you saw Glenn in the background sitting there, just waiting to see what was going to happen. All of a sudden, you just see him get smacked, and then there he goes. Six years of a main character being gone. It's just like, I mean, are you kidding me? This just happened, and there's no more story left. And, uh, you know, 
Abraham going, I, I loved Abraham because he was he was such a smart ass. He had all the one liners and it was it was, he was oh, yeah. a good character for the show. Um, both of those guys will be missed, but you know it's clear where the story is going to go now into a completely different dynamic. And I think personally, with the death of these two guys, I think the show is going to get into a, a, a probably uncharted territory just because I, I think the storylines of these guys will still carry on even after they died. And um, I, I think that, you know, their spirit for the group really kind of, you know, it lingers on, especially with Eugene and how close he was to Abraham and so Sasha was as well and Rosita. And then, if he, of course, you look at the other side with Rick Michonne and, and – um, Maggie, they were all so close to uh, to Glenn. So you think about how they're going to all be affected, you know what I mean, going forward. So um, I think, honestly, going forward, I think Negan is going to get a very massive killing here in the next couple of years, and I can't wait to see that. <laughs> so it's going to be very, very, very interesting. I really – I think it, it, his death is going to be epic. I, how they're going to oh, do wow. it, I don't know. But it's – I think it's either going to be Rick or I think it's going to be Maggie that does it. So – well, we, you know, I think to take a step back here and you got to go back to the governor and and how they played that storyline out. And, and for those of you that don't know, who the governor was he was kind of the first really bad guy that that the uh, the group in The Walking Dead came across. And and in this particular show, uh, they, they, the guy they got to play it, I think, what was his name? Uh, uh, Morrissey, I think I want to say uh, David Morrissey. I just found it online. David Morrissey, just, he's an Irish actor, just knocked it out of the park uh, from an acting perspective. And that's what, we don't talk about the actors they get to play these roles are so freaking good. But yeah, uh, yeah. and now, now to get Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who, for those that don't, aren't familiar with some of Jeffrey Dean Morgan's work, you just got to see him play uh, the comedian in uh, The Watchmen. And that's all you'll need to know. The guy, that character is basically who he's playing as Negan. And it's, it's epically, it's, it's, he's, he's funny, but he's also horrible. He's, he's evil. He makes the governor look like the rookie leagues. You know, it's like, he's like playing cactus league, you know, B level, uh, some, you know, winter ball. I mean, he is such a bad guy and how he plays this character, but he just doesn't care. And, and he, has, and he makes people do horrible things just for shits and giggles pardon the language, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the perfect actor for this role. He's perfect. And I mean, did he, did he not nail it every, I mean, he, he, I, you hated him. You hate him so much right now, but that's the point for an actor to get you to hate him that quickly so much, not just for killing the guys he killed, but the way he did it, man, that was great acting. and, And I can't wait to see this character and how he progresses. Yeah, no, my thing, and you're absolutely right. He knocked it out of the park. I mean, I, I think the season finale of last year's uh, show, I think he was absolutely just terrifying, by the way, because you didn't yeah. see what the killing was going to be. And then now you get to see much more of a side of him. Now you get to know that basically you mess with his people. This is what's going to happen because this is what, you know, he's the leader of, of this whole realm. And, you know, I look at it, I equate it this way, because he had an interview with Access Hollywood, which I thought was fascinating. He said, well, Think about this. If Negan's story was actually to start out instead of Rick's and Rick was in the opposite spectrum, we would look at Rick as being a bad guy. You, you know what I mean? Like Rick would be a, ba- a guy yeah. and you'd be like, what an asshole, you know? And and, and it, you turn the tables, it's, you know, 
in season six, they killed a lot of the saviors. I mean, dude, they, they absolutely just massacred the saviors in that building, that bunker. They absolutely just destroyed all those people in that, in there. And so like you flip it around, there's a reason why Negan got upset, but at the same time as a fan of the show and just following the bricks group, I, I, I was devastated to see what happened to Glenn. You know, I mean, especially Glenn. I mean, Glenn was like my favorite character of the show. Cause he, he brought a lot of heart and humanity to the group. And then, you know, you look at it and, you know, Abraham brought the humor and both those guys are gone now. And it's just, where do, where do you go from here? And so it's going to be very, very, very interesting. I think the writer, like you said, Scott Gimple, the producer, and w- what they're able to take it to, I think it's going to be much more, it's going to be interesting because you, you look and they're going to meet a bunch of new more people like Ezekiel is supposed to be on this new episode coming up here. It's just going to be very interesting, man. I, I think it's going to get into some big territory, but I think, you know, it's going to be Negan's world for a while. And it just, yeah. it's just interesting to see how these guys are going to, but I do think Maggie is, is good on her word. If you watch the end of that episode, she says, I'm going to kill them. You know, she's going to kill them, you know, and, and she, I, 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 I was just going to say, I think she, she's kind of like, this was the final nail in the coffin for her to kind of take control of the group. I think she is, there's going to be a transition where, I think Maggie is going to basically be the leader and, and Rick is going to be just the general and he's the military. Okay. And, 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 and she, but she's the one that's going to be calling the shots because we know she's a smart girl and she's, she's been kind of through her own, you know, ups and downs, but she has grown as a, as a character to, to, I think, take this on and, and the strength, you know, the strength that she was portraying. I mean, I, she looked, I'm, and I'm saying this from an, from watching it, like it, say it's the real world. She, they had her looking horrible because she was obviously going through some issues for, with her pregnancy in in the, you know, I'm not talking real world folks. I'm talking in the in the show, and but the way she looked in her acting was freaking fantastic. I mean, you felt like this 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 is this is the not only worst day of her life, but it is she's she's nailing it from an actor's standpoint i mean i that was this is like emmy this the, there were so many great performances in this one episode and she i think is going to be the one that takes over uh i i know that you mentioned that the kingdom now is going to be coming into this again i just know names and i kind of have a general ideas of concepts of what these groups are but negan has a huge realm world that he can parts of this world that he controls and has a massive group of people following him and it's going to take a lot of time for Rick and the boys and the girls to to finagle their way inside to get close enough to be able to take him down. And I do agree with you. I, I think Maggie's going to be the one that ultimately, you know, pulls the trigger or 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 maybe even swings the bat. <laughs> that that yeah. would be the right way to do it. But he's obviously going to go down for the dirt nap at some point in time. But there's going to be a a, a, pl- a plethora of more death that follows because. Negan is one bad dude. Yeah, he's one bad dude. But also, when you mentioned about the kingdom, the kingdom are going to be allies of Rick's group. So look at that. They're so as they they're free to roam, you know, the, the territory now. Uh, they do come across a group. Uh, well, actually, the group, to my understanding, I, I mean, um, Carol and uh, Morgan actually approached the kingdom yep. first. So, and so that's going to be. They're going to grow with the Ezekiel is a really good guy. So we'll be able to see exactly what happens with that group. And of course you got Jesus and all the rest of those guys are still out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how this group reacts to the big losses. But um, 
yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. It's going to take a long, long time for them to heal psychologically, especially because that was mm-hmm. a lot of shit they went through. So um, to really finish this off, and, and I want to talk about Daryl's part, which I think this is going to ruin him. I mean, he just started to come together as a character that was starting to get stable. You know, I mean, like he, he was an introvert at first, you know, Merle's brother. And he was a guy that you looked at and went, okay, he's grown so much through the years, you know. He's now able to really, you know, he lost Beth and a lot of the people off the show. But, think, you know, this kind of starts him back at square one again because psychologically I, this is going to completely screw him up because he's going to blame himself for Daryl's death. Or not Daryl's death, but Glenn's death. Well, he's going to – we all know – look, if again, if you didn't know, and haven't seen all these shows, but Negan – uh, set up Rick's group uh, in a major way to to get him captured the way he did. I mean, there was a lot that went into it. It was a massive plan, uh, and and one of those pieces was to get them separated and to to get their hands on Daryl because they had a separate group going after him, uh, Norman Reedus's character. And you're absolutely right on on everything you said there. And I, I think it's fascinating. He's now going to be in a position where he's going to torture him for basically an entire season, Daryl is going to be tortured. Okay. And, and, and he is, I think this entire season is going to be about them being broken down to the lowest common denominator. And that's going to be tough to watch. I hate to say that because we want to see them get their victories, but that at the end of the day, it will make their victory that much sweeter when they do end up getting it. But one of the reasons the show is so awesome is it does such a great job of building up these characters. And and Daryl and the group are going to go through a really bad year. <laughs> I got a feeling. Yeah. Uh, oh, and yeah. uh, and 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 that guy that has uh, the guy that has his uh, his uh, his um, freaking a cross uh, crossbow. Dwight. Dwight. Uh, Dwight. <laughs> that guy. That guy is going to get his. And I can't wait for that. He's, you know that that's all part of this is that they build up these guys that they are going to be able to lay down. I mean, these are just all bad guys. And, and again, who knows? Like you said, the shoe could be on the other foot. They look at them as bad guys, maybe. You know, and I think that's a really cool story to, to look into and, and way to, to say there's really no good people in this apocalypse. You know, that's, but you're trying to survive. So how do you survive when you're in this situation? You're probably going to do some pretty bad things. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, when you go down that road, it starts getting worse and worse and worse. But uh, I, it is great stuff. And, and again, if you don't watch this show, I'm telling you, just go start watching it on Netflix or wherever. And, and don't worry about the dead stuff. It's not about zombies. It's about people living in this, in this situation and how they exactly. deal with it. That's what this show is about. And it's amazing. And if you like the Sopranos, trust me, you'll love this. And it's not just about the idea of uh, like I said, I didn't watch, I don't know if you knew this, I didn't watch The Sopranos for like four years. I never watched it. I didn't watch it. And I was like, you know what? I'm not interested in watching, uh, not that it was a mob thing, but I really thought that it was kind of like a analyze this because it was right after analyze this. And it was like a comedy slash, you know, psychological per, per profile. Of, I just didn't seem interested. Well, then I started watching it. I finally did. And I, I never looked back. Same situation here, folks. You'll not be lit down. It's that good. Yeah, yeah, and and for the people out there that don't watch it again, catch up on it because you get to see exactly what these people go through. I mean, especially what Maggie's gone through. I mean, God, Ma- losing everything. She's lost everything, Paul. She's lost everything. everything. 
And her and sister, every, every, who I, I loved, I really liked her sister, Emily. Emily, Kenny, yeah. Beth. Oh, loved, loved her sister. Really, that, that's two good sisters right there. That, that's some, you know, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. I, I, I got to tell you, I think Herschel, Herschel did a good job with those two girls, if you know what I mean. He did, and and he was a character I I absolutely loved before he got he died too. So, I mean, if you're a fan favorite of, of a particular character starting from the beginning, don't be attached to him because chances are they are going to die. I mean, I mean, dude, I'm I, I'm telling you, I love Tyrese. Tyrese was my guy, man. I was just like, yeah, Tyrese rocks, and all of a sudden he's gone, and then just. You know, they, they, every character I've gotten attached, I loved Abraham, Abraham, boom, he's gone. You know, it's just, it, it's, uh, you know, if you get a favorite guy in the show, they're not going to last long. So, I mean, unless you're a fan of Rick Grimes or Carl, I mean, that's it. That, you know, that's pretty much the extent of it. But the last thing I want to talk about real quick, and then we'll go ahead and branch back with the Hawks and our final rants. Um, your thoughts about what Rick psychologically, when he was broken about, you know, cutting Carl's arm off at the end and sitting there watching him actually act like, you know, somebody that, I mean, I, I, that acting job was just so brilliant by Andrew Lincoln, but just to see him cry like that, we never have seen him suffer like that before the leader of the whole group. And just putting the words, you know, psychologically what Rick was going through and, and, you know, he actually, like, like, like Negan said, he said, you know, he's not a bitch like, like somebody else. Cause he was talking about Daryl at that point, you know, Daryl wasn't a bitch as opposed to, to, you know, to Rick. I mean, he literally, in my mind, mentally Lucille Rick, he absolutely mentally Lucille Rick, especially when it came to the point where he almost cut his son's almost cut his, uh, his arm off. It was just crazy. Un, it was unbelievable. And just to kind of put you back there, folks that are listening, if you haven't, you know, you don't watch the show, Rick probably had 10, 10 lines in the whole episode, maybe, maybe five. It was that little. He talked that little, but the acting was all facial. It was all, you know, makeup and, and just making these people look like their souls were being torn out of them uh, mentally via Negan and how he was just mentally destroying them. And scaring and 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 you know rearranging their entire world, uh, and it was unbelievable to watch. But to have your your you know the father you know being forced to cut off his son's arm, all right, and the way he did it, not just go cut him cut it off, but just mind f him right um, as he's doing it, and be literally you I I'll be you know what I thought was going to happen I thought he was going to cut his own because in the in the comic again this kind of came out I I you know not throwing out any crazy stuff at you folks here but in the comic actually pretty early in the comic Rick loses his arm or his hand and it has kind of the the Merle thing going on they let Merle take that in this in the show but I thought he was going to cut his arm his his own hand off um, you know, you heard, you heard Negan talk about the right hand and who's in Daryl's your right hand man. And they were kind of, there were so many, uh, 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 metaphors built into that. And I was like, oh, he's definitely going to cut his hand off. He's going to cut his hand off right there. And, it, and, and, and you know what? He, he got stopped right at the last, I did you, I thought he was going to cut off his son's arm too. I mean, one of the, one of the two was going down, you know, I thought that was going to happen. I mean, is that what you thought, Tim? 
Yeah, no, I thought I thought that well because when he said that you know just do do take my arm, do my arm, you know. Um, yeah. But then again, I I I I sat there and I watched it. I was like, okay, well, in order in order to really break Rick because he didn't do it with the death of Glenn and Abraham. I mean, Rick was devastated. I mean, the group was broken because of the deaths of both those guys, but Rick was still not there. I mean, <clears throat> in order to really break Rick psychologically. He had to get real close, and that's where it was. And that's what Negan said at the end, end of the show. He's like, okay, that's all you had. You know, I, I, I broke you, you know, and that yeah. was it. And, and you know, just incredible stuff. God, I can't wait to, to see what happens more in the rest of the season. It's going to be interesting. So, yeah. Well, one so, thing real quick, if I, if I can add, just super quick here. I, I, read, I read the uh, uh, the books, not the comic books, but the books that – uh, the uh, the creator came out with and uh, God, what's his name? It's, it's uh, Robert Kirkman. Uh, Robert Kirkman, Kirkman. Thank you. And and he's the comic book creator. Well, he also uh, started writing books, and the books are from a different angle, a different perspective. Uh, the character, it's a girl and her group, and and they kind of intermix with with some of the storylines through the comics with Rick and the governor and all that. I'll tell you right now, do yourself a favor, read those books, read them from the beginning. If you're not a fan of the show or haven't read the show or watched the show, start there and then get, turn yourself over to the show if you want to. But I'll tell you right now, they are fantastic reads and they give you some insight into, for instance, the governor, you get to find out how the governor became the governor. They kind of did it in the show, but they, you really didn't get the meat and potatoes and it's fascinating to know how the governor became the governor. Uh, and uh, I won't, I won't spoil it here because it is a huge twist, but to read that in the book, fantastic stuff. Just, there's a lot of good stuff here. And, and uh, if you're not a watcher or a reader of the show uh, um, or the, or the, you know, the, the walking dead, just, I'm telling you, it's worth, it's worth giving it a try. That's, that's what I'll say. It is. It is. Yeah, man, it's just great, great stuff. So um, check it out. Yeah, it's it's worth the Netflix uh, Netflix uh, monthly payment for sure. So, all right, man. So let's go ahead and talk about the Hawks game uh, against New Orleans, and uh, we got to be quick because we got to do our final rants. So we're going to do a, about a minute a piece uh, talking about what the keys are going to be. I'll go ahead and start first for me. I think the key for this whole game is basically having the defense uh, pick up where it left off. Um, you can contain Drew Brees because he's he's an older type of quarterback, still can throw it around, but you got a really good secondary. I think the big key in this whole game, though, where my spotlight's going to be, it's going to be the offense. The offense has to respond to what they yeah. did last week, and they have to pick up where they left off at the very end of that overtime. Um, that's important because – you know, I love the message that Pete has. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. But, you know, if you want to be a great team in this league, again, you got to play four quarters. And, and Russell Wilson can't be out there, you know, you can't be doing first and 20s, can't be doing second and 23s, second and 30s, whatever you have. you get, you got to make these first downs. And it's super important because they're going to be blitzing you all day. So you got to you got to acclimate what the defense is going to give you. So well, um, I'll give my score in just a bit, but that's my key of the game. I think I think there's two two things. One, we've got to you, you mentioned offense. We've got to start. We got to get the ball. We got to run the ball. We've got to uh, create some type of running game. We've got to you know not just be on the field uh, longer than you know ten fifteen minutes like this last game. It felt like 
but we've got to create some type of running game. And I, I think Christine Michael, uh, I don't think he's as dy- dynamic per se, because I think he is being so protective of the football. I think that's a huge part of his issue holding onto the ball. He knows he has to k- take care of that. And I think that that keeps him from being, as good as he possibly can, because this guy is electric from a speed and move perspective. You just don't see it. Uh, you haven't really seen it, but he has gotten yards. I mean, but, but I think that we're going to have to get that offensive line. It's going to, we need to become maulers and we, and we know we have those guys to do it, but we've got to create a running game uh, and get back to get back to what makes the Seahawks who they are. That's their, 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 uh, um, their, their um, you know, that's their mantra per se. But the other thing, too, is I think Kelsey McRae has been a, a, a real good addition uh, to this team. And obviously with Cam Chancellor being out, uh, and he'll be back soon. I think Kelsey McRae has filled in admirably, and he's just getting better and better. But where mm-hmm. most, deep, most offensive teams, and with, again, a great passing team with Drew Brees and these receivers, he's a guy that, that can definitely pick you apart if you give him little openings. And where most teams know now to throw the ball – against the the Seahawks is these these late uh uh how do I say this uh you know mid-level to 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 deep level middle of the field uh drags where receivers will 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 kind of the the fifth or sixth receiver depending on what they're what how many different options they have will will run these late uh, uh late in the in the play kind of uh crossing patterns and it's those are the issues that have been. I mean, we gave up some big plays to the Cardinals that way on long third downs, per, you know, situations. We're gonna have to cover that better, and I think we will. Kelsey McCray is just getting better and better. Earl looked like Earl finally uh, in this last game, and and I we are really good on the deep sideline balls, but where we really are, we have really struggled this year, unlike other years, is those middle of the field late crossing patterns and. I think that's where the Saints are going to try to, to get after us, and we're going to have to make sure we don't give them up those big plays. I agree. I agree. And that's what, you know, again, they run a not a similar offense to Atlanta, but, I, but again, they're susceptible to making big plays. And that's what kind of kills you, you know, last week and then the week before with Atlanta. You know, the, there's the big-type plays, you know, with miscommunications and whatnot. So got to be yep. very careful about that. Plus, it's going to be on the road, so it's going to be – a very, a very hostile environment. Great fans down there in New Orleans, and uh, I have a whole lot of respect for that fan base down there. So, um, game time picks for me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Seahawks. It's going to be kind of a. I, I, it's not going to be a high scoring affair just because of what's going on with Wilson. I'm going to go ahead and go twenty to twenty to nine, Seattle. <laughs> that is a strange score. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's probably going to be, you know, a field goal. I think it's going to be a three, four point game. Uh, I'll say, I think the Seahawks are going to win this thing. And I think it, you're right. I think it's going to probably be an under uh, situation for the betters out there. And I'm definitely one of those types of folks, but, uh, being about a 48 under, I, I think, I think you're looking at probably like a 21, 17, 24, 17 type game, uh, with, uh, with, you know, not saying a late field goal, but it's going to be close throughout. Uh, and this, this health, you know, Russell Wilson's health is a huge piece of this puzzle. But regardless of that, we're going to have to run the ball. And the defense, who played 90 plus plays this last week, which is just unreal in the NFL, they are going to have to rest up and be ready to go. And 
God bless them, man, because they <laughs> the way they played against that the, the cards down there in, in Phoenix, Glendale, uh, they're going to have to play represent, and it's going to be a hostile environment. Uh, but uh, I think it's one where I think we'll 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 do well, especially against an offensive line that, that is not other than Max Unger at center. Uh, God bless Max. Um, they are not a fantastic offensive line. I think our, our D line is going to be able to get to, to Drew Brees. And, man, you get him off his mark, that's where you get him into trouble. So uh, pass rush is going to be huge. Uh, are we going to be blitzing a lot? Ooh, that scares you against a guy like Drew Brees because he's so good at finding the open receiver. But that's that's what this team's been doing, and they've been doing it pretty damn well. You know, Chris Richard, that's what he's trying to do. So, you know, I'll take Seahawks, uh, I'll take Seahawks uh, by four. I don't know a score, but I think they're going to win by four. They're going to cover is what I'm trying to say. All right. I like it. All right. So time for the final rants tonight, and then we're out of this place. Um, and we hope you guys have a good week and happy Halloween coming up and all that good stuff. Um, final rant of the night basically is when was the last time you ever saw an election this crazy, this bad, this awful, this atrocious, this like WWE, like, um, this election is just a joke and whoever becomes president, it's just a, a mess. And I do recommend that you guys go out there and vote. It's huge because I mean, you got to have your voices heard, but right now, unfortunately with either one of those candidates, does it really matter? I mean, does not matter at all? Um, you know, I mean, Trump supporters, I, I, you know, they're so radical on what they feel. Hillary supporters, they're, I, I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, me, I'm I'm a guy that if I just put out my ballot right now, I would just put in, like, Paul Byer for president. So Hey, um, hey, I like that yeah. idea. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, go out there and vote. Make your voice heard. And uh, may the best person win because this is just an awful election. I'm done. You know, I'll, I'll take a different spin. Spend, but I'll, I'll stay with the, the idea of this uh, uh, political, political and societal uh, changes that we are going through as, as a group of people. But I'll just say this: don't let people silence you. Uh, don't, but at the same time, don't go out and slander people. That's not how we start discussions. You don't start discussions with trying to tear someone down. If you want to start a discussion, reach your hand out and shake the other person's hand. That's how you start a discussion. And and look, there are tons of things. I know Tim and I, we disagree on a number of things, uh, probably politically, right? But at the same time, mm-hmm. we can have a reasonable conversation because we have respect for one another. And if you just start with a basic – I'll tell you right now, most of us in this world believe in probably seven out of ten things. We probably agree in those things, and they're important things. But we, when we start a conversation with trying to tear the other person down – we're not going to go anywhere and it's just going to create this divisiveness that we all are suffering from. So stop with that. We're not each other's enemy. We're each other's brothers and sisters and uh, we're family. So let's, let's try to live like that. And, and I tell you, it's on both sides. I know we talk about this, but, but do your homework folks, you know, and if you ever have a question about this stuff, trust me, I do mine. I'm more than happy to share it with you. Uh, All right. That's it. We're a little late, but Hey, as I always say, good night, Canada. Good night, guys. God bless. Go Hawks. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.